Hello and welcome to the Invisible Oranges podcast. I am John Rosenthal, one of the two editors-in-chief here with Ted Newble. Hey, I'm Ted Newble, the other co-editor of Invisible Oranges. And we're joined today with some uh, some guest hosts. We have uh, Ben D. Hey there, I'm Ben. Musician, fan of our special guest, big fan admirer of our special guests. So, And we have Brain Smasher. That would be me. Thanks for having me. I'm a longtime fan of your work. And uh, looking forward to digging into this. And of course, today we have a special guest. We have Vic from Durheim's Guard and many other bands. Hey, Vikartnik from Durheim's Guard, Vedbu and Senna, and uh, Doldvoid Dance now, right now at least. So, uh, oh, not that I'm quitting, but yeah, these are my three current active bands. So, yeah, hello, <laughs> guys. So, today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the new DHG album. And uh, it's called Black Medium Current, and uh, all of us have been listening to it and really enjoying it. And uh, I understand it took a, quite a bit of time to make this album. So uh, what what went into this pe- uh, period of time? You know, I, I think that's become like the general thing now that all our albums take a bit of time. It's like yes. an eight-year sequence, I think, from 666 International and, and to uh, Supervillain, and then the same amount of time from uh, Supervillain to... Umbra, Omega, and then another eight years to uh, this next album. So I, there's no re- real reason for it. It just turns out that way, I guess. Um, I do have, you know, like some projects in between. And uh, of course, that takes a bit of time. Uh, but other than that, I think that every every Dodheim's God recording should... Um, Bring something exclusive to the table in regards of Durheim's God. I mean, like, uh, it shouldn't just be a, a repeat button from, from the last album. So, of course, it takes a bit of time to get out of the old mindset and, and get into something new. And I also think that there's a non-musical process there to beginning where, where, where you're just kind of assembling a lot of thoughts. Uh, in relation to what what the album is kind kind of um, going to be about, and I, I guess also that again connects to you on an emotional level. You you kind of need to bring the the thoughts from from the emotions that you you're carrying at the present, and from there the process starts basically. So uh, with Black Medium Current, uh, I always. Well, always. It's only been a couple of weeks. I've really listened to it, uh, listening through it and describing it to you in chats. I've been saying it's bewildering, but not confusing. And, uh, there's an element of like smoothness and cohesion when it comes to the songwriting. So what went into like making this flow so well? Uh, what, what kind of mindset did you have in the songwriting? Uh, you know, I, 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 um, eight years ago, I kind of knew that the song Architect of Darkness from Umbra Omega, that was a kind of a path I, I wanted to explore further. So that was, was kind of the outset for this album, um, that specific song from the last, last album. So, um, I went for, from there basically. Um, and, um, I also felt that, you know, I had two choices uh, in a sense uh, that I could either try to kind of um, go beyond Umbra Omega in sense of like uh, being more chaotic uh, and more complex. Um, but I found that concept a bit silly in a sense that um, 
I would just be borrowing heavily from that album in order to surpass it. And, and it wouldn't be fair to Umbra Omega either. Then it wouldn't be that kind of that special in the discography. So then I thought, okay, what's the other um, alternative? Well, the other alternative was stripping everything back, you know, try, trying to get back to kind of some core essentials of black metal. So I don't, don't know if you uh, caught that, but there is a lot of like 1992 riffs in there. Of course, presented in a, maybe a different manner th- than I would be able to do back then, but still it's, it's some really, really, really basic, um, melancholic black metal tunes in the core of these songs, you know, um, so I guess I'm avoiding your question a bit, but I, I think like <laughs> the fluidity of the song, um, I think I, I just brought kind of the mindset from Umbra Omega, something I've been flirting with since maybe Satanic Art, actually, or uh, at least 666 with these long songs. But I, I think th- this is the best I've ever nailed them in the sense of going more linearly from from start to finish. Uh, Umbra Omega was a bit, all over the place, but that also f- uh, followed the lyrical concept that we stripped away time in a sense, you know, like the lyrics were just written, um, uh, you know, like w- one scenario can follow another in the lyrics. So it kind of wanted the music to re- reflect that and vice versa. Whereas this time the storytelling is also a bit more linear. So it was um, important to, to show that through the songs as well, that you kind of, emotionally traveling somewhere you know and and you want to um convey the whole journey through not just pieces of it i was going to comment on um you know what you said about there's there being some very kind of early 90s black metal i i I got a sense from this album that this the album actually feels very much like a survey almost of the entire jenheim scar discography yeah Um, you know, there's elements, you know, everything up from Krona to Konga, um, but in particular, 666 International. Um, there's a lot of reference, I feel, in this album. And I, and I feel that that's, you know, not only just the overall sort of atmosphere, vibe and approach of Dordheim's Guard, I think 666 International, I think, really cemented that. And, and the work you've done since has has referenced it in some ways. But there's a lot more direct references in this album. Um, you know, there's the... Let me look up the track name here really quick. Um, there's references to the piano pieces for sure. So Voyager and, and the last track, Requiem Aeternum feel very much like something like carpet bombing, bombing from 666 International. Um, and then there's a direct sort of jazz reference to Shiva interfere with that dun, duga, dun, 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 you know, and, uh, I just love those sort of motif, those references to an older work. Um, you know, can you expand kind of conceptually on, on what that approach was? Is there a direct connection with 666 International on this album or are you just kind of toying with that concept? Yeah, definitely the theme you're bringing up, uh, kind of the David Bowie theme, because that's where I got it from initially on, on Shiva Interfere, you know, like, um, uh, Definitely, that theme has a direct link. The piano pieces, it's it's more scatteredly linked. You know, we started with the kind of using a, a, a piano already on um, Satanic Art, right? Um, 
And uh, we kept that, you know, um, I, I think like uh, on Supervillain Outcast, those piano things were, were, um, kind of exchanged with the Matthews vocal songs, like, uh, Chrome Balaclava and those. And I think though those had a similar feel. So it wasn't really getting rid of that, um, specific element. It was just doing something else with the same element, basically. And on Umbra Omega, uh, the piano is there quite prevalently uh, on a lot of themes, but I don't think maybe there is anywhere except the end where the piano is playing by itself. So the piano is kind of, it's a mainstay, basically, you know, it's um the instrument has some sort of drama to it, I think, uh, especially when it comes to um yeah, melancholy, co- conveying melancholy. Um, so uh, um, I don't think that this album is more linked to 666 than Say Omega Omega, but it's definitely more linked to 666 than Monumental Possession. I, I guess that's that's the, the album where we um, uh, re- reused or recycled the least references. Uh, so... Um, but in the end, you know, like uh, I'm, I've been the mainstay guy uh, through all those albums, so it's bound to be some some references and and, and link-ups, you know. That I guess that's the way I I play guitar, and that's the way I compose com- compose music. So yeah. How has it been working with uh, like an entirely new band since the last album? Yeah, uh, no, it's good, and and you know the guys have been. Um, been on the wagon for quite some while like tommy he joined for a tour in 2013 so that's over 10 years ago already and uh, um and uh, lars he came in 2015 so that's uh starting to be a few years and and even uh, uh he has been in and out of the band doing you know when when john couldn't um uh, do tours and stuff like that. Uh, Mirwal stepped in, so he's been kind of the second drummer in the band since 2013 as well. So um, it wasn't uh, like working with a new band, basically, you know. But um, yeah, I think they contributed a lot with their their talents, you know. Like uh, you have several hands on the the product. Uh, doesn't matter who makes the music; they or everybody will kind of put their their. Uh, stamp on it and uh speaking of new things uh you handle the vocals on this album since eldron uh departed a few years ago so what was it like you know taking over i mean you're a vocalist in dold novin so what what did you learn from that band and how how does it feel fronting this band now yeah you know it, it's easy to conceptually think that this was the the chronological order but but the fact is i was uh, Starting with the Dördheimskar vocals, um, before I joined the Dolodvorda. So, um, I had already started kind of, um, training. And when Aldon was in the band, I also was, uh, thinking about making a, a solo project, you know, because I, I wanted to explore, um, using the voice as, as the main instrument. Um, then I'd been doing drums, bass, and guitars for so many years. I, I really wanted to do vocals. But when Aldron was moved out of the picture, then I guess there was no need for that kind of solo project or, or second project. So I could fuse that idea with, uh, with the Ramscott. And then also Dold uh, showed up along the way and, and that gave me significant, uh, 
yeah training i guess you know to to approach uh, both both lyrics and vocals in another band you know so it it, it got me well prepared for for doing the dead i'm scott vocals basically um other challenges you know yeah i i, I always wanted to do this and i think it, you get a certain um closeness you know to to uh to even more so to the songs when when you're not just doing the music but also writing the lyrics and and conveying the words you know so uh um yeah it it was a way moving closer to the product than before basically yeah your your vocal performance on the new album is one of the words that really was coming to me throughout listening to it is is confident there's just a an, an additional confidence in your voice that i've heard on this album um your projection and everything and you know has because you have been doing vocals with Dodheim Scrub for some time and you've been doing vocals you know since those you know old demo appearances and things like that or you're known for the long scream um but you know do you feel like working with Dold Svodens Novin has helped you kind of gain some additional confidence in your voice yeah i i guess so but i i think like the the most important factor for me in both bands basically was that uh, that that it had to be honest or authentic you know and and i wouldn't care so much if it was technically brilliant or or average or even even if it sucked on a technical level it just had to be be authentic and believable i guess you know and and also for conveying the lyrical content which together with the music is also stripped down you know like more, more kind of a, a di- direct approach, uh, um, and, and more naked, I guess, you know. So uh, I um, thought that was the biggest burden, uh, making sure how to authentically, um, be able to, to convey the words, you know, without it sounding forced or, or, uh, or uh, like a theater or, or like a, yeah, something uh, produced basically. There are a variety of voices that you use on the album too. Just like, you know, there's the harsh voice and there's a, there's kind of a spoken kind of like, like a howl almost. Uh, how do you, how do you find yourself picking these different voices to, I'm guessing there's a, there's something conceptual that goes on with the lyrics too. Yeah, I, I guess, but I also think that the part itself is important. Like what, 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 what does one specific part kind of, how is that part's evocative nature? What, what do I feel when I listen to it? And, and that, that's also, uh, important in sense of conveying also the music through the vocals, basically. And, and often vocals is kind of the ticket in for a listener, you know, like the, that, that's kind of the center of attention to begin with. And eventually you get drawn drawn into the music and you know more and more parts of the whole wholeness but uh, often vocals are kind of the introduction the ticket in so it was important that the vocals also stayed true to the content of the music so yeah there's kind of a symbiotic relationship going on there i had a question so you've been doing this for like 28 years now and i i definitely think your identity as an artist is that with what i'm at least you really reinvent the identity of the band over and over each time you put out a new record. But I wondered if there's anything like, what would you say are the things, the elements to Dodem's Guard that always feel the same since you began this 28 years ago? 
Uh, I guess that's a factor that kind of that there will be an unexpected um, tinge to it. Uh, but then again, you know, like uh, I think the guitar is kind of the mainstay. Like there will always be certain types of guitarists. Of course, they're presented a bit differently on Umbra, not those ferocious speeds as before, and and uh, uh, also a bit dialed back. But the tremolo riffs are are certainly there, and uh, I think also there's kind of a weird atmosphere to to a lot of Durham's God music that that uh, you you just don't it's not only something you listen to it's something you feel and uh i think also a lot of people have come back to me and said like uh, that uh, they also um when they're listening to Durheim's guard it also makes them think and i think that's a good good kind of uh, <laughs> thing to add to your kind of Tool toolbox, you know, that it, it's evocative music and and also somewhat intellectual music, I guess, you know, like so. Um, I think those are the the factors, and of course, uh, we mentioned it before, the piano, um, that we have certain things that are re recircled, but then they are presented in a new manner, and of course. One cannot forget Aldron's voice. It's also been a mainstay, basically. Then, but uh, this is the second time we we kind of tried without it. And I, I think both these albums still feel Durham's God, uh, e- even in in Bjorn's Bjorn's absence. Yeah, it's definitely not passive listening. You know, that's what's always drawn me to it. <laughs> yeah. Active active listening, and like you said, evocative. Um, it demands your attention. That's, I think that's, you know, the highest compliment. Yeah, it's good in the sense that, you know, it's not for you if you're the kind of person that likes to listen to music while doing the dishes, you know, or uh, likes to do music while while tidying the, the the apartment or, or, or having the TV on in the background, then... And this music is not for you. So it, it, it demands a bit from the listener as well in order to get a relationship to it, you know. So it, it, I mean, I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no worries. No worries. I, was gonna, I was just going to say, I love, I love cleaning the bathroom, listening to 666 International. We're <laughs> <laughs> tossing Clorox all over. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Can you tell us about anything going on with Vegetable and Zenda? Yeah, actually, we're uh, composing uh, music right now. Um, so, um, I guess we're about 20, 20 minutes in, probably, in a, in a new album. I, I, you know, we, we have tons of material we had for a long time. Um, but I, I guess it's, it's, um, a bit about finding the right, uh, path, I guess, in order to, and this is a backward path. You have to go back to the past in a sense to reconnect. To something that was abandoned in '95, I, I I don't think it would be right if we kind of brought who we are today only and then made an album together because I'm I'm worried then that it would sound lo- nothing like Vedbunzena. So I think we should really kind of dial into who we were as people back then, you know, and try to to <laughs> maybe understand the reasoning for for why we made the music the way it was, you know, uh, and th- that that. That's kind of earning, earning back your place in, in that setting. So, um, you can start making a new album, but that, um, 
steps directly out of written in waters instead of making something that sounds like 30 years after written in waters. I think that would be kind of the wrong way to go about it. And uh, Ved Wenzenda has also been performing live. Um, and I understand that gigs back in the day were fraught with problems, you know, Carl Michael being sick, stuff like that. So what is it like having these successful gigs further down the line? Yeah, I, I think it's been been really good. And also in the sense of writing new music, it's really been a, a, a kind of an eye opener uh, because now you have to get to know that material again, you know, and uh, because you play it at, we play it at rehearsal and we bring it out on stage. And, and uh, so it means we've gotten to know the material again. And uh, I think that's been the right kind of sequence of events that we did the live shows first so we can get kind of that uh, feel back and, and also getting it back into the fingers and the mindset and everything and then start making the record, you know. And, I, you know, I always wanted, hoped that we would at least do a couple of shows, you know, like uh, me, me and Carmichael, we didn't speak for many years. So, um, and I didn't, I didn't um, really have much high hopes for a new record but i really hope we we could you know settle our differences at some point that and at least do um you know 10 shows for for at least the people have been kind of loyal to to the band since the demo or the record you know but luckily we got both yeah and you'll see us all in chicago in uh, may i believe perfect april yeah, are you uh, are you excited for that? The kind of the debut US performance for that one's end. Yeah. Well, looking forward to it. I, I don't know what to expect uh, in the US, you know, like um uh, I I know we did a couple of uh, gigs there with the Ramsgard and uh Kalle did a couple of shows with Virus and uh, it's been a good experience, you know, like I think maybe not to talk shit about the European metal public but um I guess the market, European bands in Europe, that's an oversaturated market. So sometimes it's, it's wise to kind of switch continents and, and the same way the other way around. And when we get uh, a good American bands over here, you know, like, uh, uh, it, it, it boosts the, the, the audience a bit, you know, and, uh, so I'm hoping for the same thing going there, you know, and getting a, a, a crowd that, you know, want, wants to really get into it. Yeah. Yeah. I, know, I mean, I, we always feel very fortunate to see a band like Dirtheim Scarred or, you know, I traveled for those virus shows to New York. Um, and Smasher and I were both at uh, the last Dirtheim Scarred tour in 2018. Um, you know, getting to see R Noir if they come around, that's always, always a treat. So, yeah, I think you're definitely right. We, we you know, we're always very excited when that rare case happens of, of a band like that coming overseas which shows did you come out to see in uh 2018 uh chicago when you got you guys played at the red oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. u.s tour yeah yeah sure yeah but yeah but yeah we were both right at the front losing our minds okay that's cool <laughs> there was a guy during the chicago show who stood right in the middle and held his finger up to you for like three songs straight and yeah i was so weirded out by that but you just told him to fuck off and get out. And I thought that was a funny interaction, but I also thought it was like really emblematic of like your identity as a black metal musician, like 
just sloughing off traditionalism and expectations. I just thought that was like, did you feel like that was what you are? That interaction is like what Dodem's Guard is? Yeah, I think that started very early. Uh, if you uh, if you just could imagine the tours we had uh, after sixty six international, that was crazy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> our, our Kronete Konge fans they were waiting for us to beat us up after after we played those shows. <laughs> so we had literally fist fights with our fan base, like all through Germany. So that was a fun experience. But you know what? We loved every second of it. We thought, we thought that this is cutting edge. This is, this is what it's supposed to be, you know. And I, I remember getting really fed up with all the nostalgia really from uh, early on, you know. Like I think moving into 96, 97, I was already feeling like, fuck, this is so on the repeat button. And Dark Throne is kind of the, the band to, to emulate, you know, and, Every week there's popping out a new band that basically are not trying to do anything for themselves. They're just kind of going through the old tropes, you know, of what to think and how to behave and how to dress. And so, you know, in, in a sense, black metal kind of became what it hated. So uh, I wanted to stay true on that path, you know, like just just go for it, you know. Yeah, oh, I can't agree with that more, yeah. I mean, there there is that idea of being cutting edge, but do you also like being difficult and uh, new? I, I don't know. I I I think it's if I like it, yeah, sure. You know, I I can't help it. I guess that's that's the the better answer. You know, the best answer I can can give. I know that it's probably like at least through the nineties and maybe the early two thousands. Um, if we would have stayed on the path from Krona to Konga, I. I, I I've always known the band probably would be a, a more recognized, a bigger band, you know, because that, that it's it's a coveted attribute in the black metal that you don't change, you know. However stupid that is, like it seems like being true to something is never changing. But for me, that's that's kind of a contradiction in itself, you know, because. Um, we, we we are kind of slaves of change. We have no choice, you know. I I I went through this since I was thirteen years old, and now I'm sitting here, a forty six year old man. You know, of course things have changed. You know, so I want to bring those changes along in the artistry and the presentation of the music. So kind of I'm joining every, I'm inviting everybody to take part, kind of in a in a journey that has successions. You know, and and it's also a way. Under my understanding, that this is also a way of staying true to your art, you know, because you're you're not going to be stuck in a place because of external motivation that you know, no, this is the popular thing to do, so I'll stay here. So it's the opposite of that, you know. It's like, okay, I choose authenticity, so I will go wherever this leads me, no matter if that means I will uh, suffer. Uh, loads of sales or um, or not be booked so much a year or two or three or, or whatever you know so the external motivation is is kind of less um, important you know than the yeah uh, this new album also coincides with a reissue of Aumbra Omega which oh. I thought was really interesting because you know I mean you're kind of revisiting the old relatively old I guess uh, with the new so what what made you want to reissue this album alongside uh, black medium current 
that that's uh, coincidental. And if it's not, it's 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 Paul Paul at Peaceville's thinking. You know. I, okay. I didn't even know that we did. But it, it, it's a good coincidence because I think those two albums are, are pretty linked. I think that what what I you know I I, I drew out the melancholy of Aumbra Omega and I made an album from that. That's basically was my mindset from the get go. Like the 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 bit darker sides of Aumbra Omega, I wanted to explore that further. You know. So yeah, with the <clears throat> with the new album. Was the writing process for this album any different than, let's say, A Umbra Omega? Because I know you've said that the last album was a solitary experience, yeah, um, mostly written yourself. Is that the same case for the for the new album? Yes and no. It was solitary to begin with, but then I also um, all the while had kind of demos to share with the guys and, and they came with input and stuff like that and I went back to the drawing board and at some point we actually w- went in together uh, and started rehearsing as a band and you know and then we could come to a specific part and say like yeah fuck there's something missing here you know uh, from the transition from the last part and and we could kind of discuss it and uh and we could also, you know, change a drum beat to something else and, you know, everybody could come with their input. So I think there was more interaction of that kind on this album than on Umbra Omega, definitely. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to know, you know, more. And I think probably a lot of people would like to know more about your creative process. You know, how does your, how does your muse speak to you? You know, is it, do you get a melodic idea when you're walking down the street or do you need to be in a specific place and kind of maybe more of a, a state of, of I'm going to sit down and write, you know, how does, how do, how do your ideas come to you? Yeah. I, I think I've never been that big on, on, uh, on having kind of specific times I do it. But what, what I've always done is I try to have more than one approach because I think I've always thought that if you have more than one approach in how you make music, uh, your, your different approaches will result in, in, in different outcomes, basically. So if you start making a song with a drum beat, it will pro- probably sound a lot different than if you make, uh, guitar riffs as the starting point of, of a song, you know. So sometimes I, I, uh, use, uh, synthesizers and stuff like that as the beginning point. And, you know, I have all these points of entry, which, uh, hopefully gets me to different exits points you know and uh, you know you can get a melody in your head walking down the street but i think like the 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 common denominator for being kind of successful is in in making music at least music you're trying to somewhat reinvent a tiny bit each time you have to spend enough time on it that's basically the factor you know if 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 you're going to write guitar riffs you have to play guitar there's no way out of it you know like and 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 the good riffs will come if you uh, if you play guitar enough basically and that's a very simple way of saying it but if if you look at the data Basically, if you look at, at it objectively and not try to bring in all these mystical words and all this kind of subjective understanding of things, this is the truth. Play guitar, you know, and practice when you have time and, and sit down and, and know that you have to kind of, uh, um, invest in it. You have to invest your time in it, your heart and your time, you know, like, uh, 
yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, art, art is an investment. It takes, you know, time and, and work and, and you, yeah. Some people realize that some don't. And, and I love that concept of, of starting in different places. You know, it's like for me, you know, if I, if I start with a baseline, an idea is going to be really different than I start than if I start with guitar or if I get, you know, a rhythmic idea or something like that. When, when you're, when you're, you know, kind of, cataloging your ideas are you you know are you sitting down at the computer recording are you sitting down with a tape deck how are you sort of how are you both really you know because sometimes you're just uh, you know you're almost watching tv and but you have the guitar in your lap and suddenly oh shit those two notes those sounded really good together and then it's up with the tv and it's it's uh uh, yeah, into exploration world a hundred percent, you know. And other times you 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 sit down and you work focused, you know. And uh, so um, uh, and and sometimes there's nothing at all. Even if you're doing the same usual practices, you know, you go to to those things you know have worked a million times in the past, and still there's nothing, you know, nothing that's good enough at least you know or 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 that correlates with kind of uh, where you want to go this time around you know so uh, yeah it, it's it's a it's a very rewarding process in a sense that it's it's not only pleasurable it can be a lot of pain and frustration and and it's also very very time consuming so when you have kids and and you also have another job and hopefully also other interests and and uh, maybe a girlfriend and family and all that stuff you know you you need to put your investment on top of that which means like uh, your your week is already invested 100 hours but you need to invest 30 more hours uh, maybe a week on this thing as well you know through rehearsals and songwriting and writing lyrics and and answering mail and and stuff like that you know so uh, so it's definitely a lifestyle you know um definitely there are moments on the album where you're definitely showcasing your bandmates' talents. I think about like like there's that one point where you're like Merval is blasting at like 300 BPM, or there's a bass solo or a keyboard solo, stuff like that. Uh, how do you, how do you find yourself celebrating your bandmates' achievements and their talents like that? Yeah, you know, one uh, um, in order to do that, you also have to leave enough space, right? So, so that was also an idea about dialing back the songs a bit. So, so there were, would actually be a, a playground there to play on. Um, but, you know, with this bunch of guys, it's actually not difficult to make them do a lot. It's more difficult to make them dial back and hold back a bit, which was really important for me on this album to kind of strip it down um, somewhat to the core. Not all the time, but, but uh, you know, I think when you're trying to convey emotional music, the, the core mel- melodies are, are often the most important. And when you... Um, you you oversaturate it with details and and layers and stuff like that. Uh, maybe the the core emotion can be a bit lost. So I wanted to see if we could uh, um, carry this the whole way through this time. You know, like um, because I really wanted it to be a less schizophrenic album this time around. Even though we we change genres along the way, but we kind of keep the emotion. You know. 
and that was yeah that was kind of the the significant part uh, of trying to maintain uh, the whole way through i had a question about your live performances um ever since aldrin has left and you've like taken the front and center on stage you've been donning some kind of like guru hindu sort of makeup exactly the reference but i wondered if you could explain more like why that is or are you like playing with the black metal corpse paint kind of trope and subverting it to your taste uh, yeah no yeah I, I i let the black metal paint go a long time ago and that's a specific reason for it because it really i i don't think it belonged on a stage you know this was something that was my life when I was in my adolescence and there were no stages to play on. There were no record deals to be gotten and stuff like that. So as soon as this kind of switched into somewhat uh, siding on the entertainment side, there was no more corpse paint for me. It belonged somewhere else, you know, like it, it belonged to another era. And, and for me, that was always supposed to stay underground. So I had to to kind of reinvent that part as well uh, as the 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 music scene was was changing basically so um and you you know the white paint i think it just uh, came on on accident one day you know like uh, while doing uh, doing the makeup before a live show because when i used the blue paint as well the the first layer of the blue paint was always white so you know i i probably saw myself in the mirror and thought wow this is this is a fitting fitting look now for 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 the era coming forward you know i i like the the uh, the lyrics to be a bit philosophical in nature as well so it, you know it, it it looks good with kind of that stern look and and uh, and the bit of gray beard and stuff like that it goes goes good together i guess and uh, yeah the indian side of it you know like w when i got moved center stage uh, um you know you could bring more uh, of of your artistic ideas uh, to the center without alienating anybody else, basically. You know, it, it, it was always in the past, uh, you had to, um, um, kind of give room for the other bandmates as well, because, you know, me and Aldran started the band together. So there w weren't, um, uh, it wasn't an arena where you could bring a hundred percent of your, your kind of luggage. You had to bring 50% of it and you had to leave also 50% or whatever percent open for the, for your partner, you know, and, and now it's kind of easier to just, uh, make the whole thing, you know, uh, from the layout to the look, to the, to the concept, to the lyrics, to the sound, to the everything. Yeah. Uh, going back to the, the idea of use of color, uh, the last few Dothheim's Guard records have definitely had this, this interesting portrayal of color. I, I think about like the triangles on Over Omega and the, uh, the lines in this blackened space. Uh, what does color mean visually to Dothheim's Guard? I, I think the, the spectral lines are, are there kind of to, um, to represent reality. Maybe also the physical form of reality, which we are, uh, we're all subjects to, and 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 then they are uh, presented in an artistic con context. Art history is, is basically non-existent in the physical world. It's it's a world of ideas, you know. So it's not it's a kind of a contingent on the physical world, but it's not part of it, you know. It 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 ex exists uh, aside it, but uh, yeah. So uh, I think that's that's kind of the message of both those covers and and. 
for me, those two albums are linked, you know, like uh, you have the expression of, of uh, the physical, you know, like uh, in this case, if you, if you say it like uh, a bit playfully, it's, it's, it's the mind. It's the mind that made, made the physical world in, in sense so it could interact and understand itself. So it would have an arena to make music, for example. I, um, <clears throat> yeah, I had a specific, I'm glad John transitioned to the, the use of color in the album cover because the cover is really striking. I was wondering, you know, is, is there intention, there's sort of this line that's striking through the yellow and the spectrum. And I was wondering, is that purely coincidental or was that intentional? You know, why is there, why is there this focus kind of on the yellow in the cover? It is. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's <laughs> so I really wanted uh, the spectral lines for hydrogen, but those spectral lines were so boring. So I had to choose, you know, yeah. it's such a, yeah, I guess the, the compound of hydrogen is, is, is much easier. So it wasn't really, made for doing a spectacular cover. So, um, yeah. So it's a bit coincidental, uh, dental, what, what kind of got the center stage in, in, uh, in the design. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. Yeah. Cause you could go to an artist and say, Hey, this is kind of what I want. And then they make something based off of that rough idea. And I love, I love that. I, <laughs> you're like, it is, it, it's going through the yellow. I just, it's funny because it's something that just stands out so much to me, you know, and I think that it's a really, a really cool element of the cover. And, and what, what what was your thoughts uh, in relation to what it linked up to? Well, you know, and this maybe gets into the concept of the album. Um, but, you know, for one, yellow is such an unusual color to highlight, especially in, in, in the world of metal, right? And it's, and it's a bright color and it's sort of, it's the sun and this sort of life-giving color. Um, you know, obviously, and, and, and it, and it's highlighted here with sort of this lunar element below it. Whereas normally you would see like the blue and red, you know, those are definitely much darker colors. And, and we actually don't even see really kind of a green on here. Um, I kind of, I've worked, I've worked in the, in the visual arts, um, somewhat. So, so it's, our work is very important to me on an album. And so it just stood out to me. And, and, and I think it's, it's, it's so, Maybe on that, let's, could we talk about the concept of the album, the lyrical concept? Is there sort of a through line through the album? Is it a, is it multiple pieces? What's the general concept? You, you know, it, it's, it, it's really hard to, to sum, sum it up, uh, uh, just through a few words or sentences. So I, I guess you always have to choose kind of which sides you're going to talk, talk about. At any given moment, you know, in any interview situation, but uh, it, it's not about. It, it's a pretty sad album, you know. Like in in the end, there's there's a deep sadness to it, and I I think that uh, on my part, it was also a kind of a conscious decision to kind of also uh, celebrate everything that's been done you know everything every moment lived through until this point you know and and and, and kind of uh, um drape it in in sadness like it, it's some sort of nostalgia i guess but it, it's not 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 it's not sentimental in the type that um um that i wish i was back or anything it's just kind of paying homage to to what's been and and all the people that that I've lost along the way. So of course, not having that as a 
like kind of a base context that that brings you over to philosophical questions as well you know that's also our, our uh, in the midst of the album like uh, the 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 questions that kind of uh, are metaphysical in nature uh, and that ties up to to existence and uh, and morals and and uh, w- why things are important and why why certain things are not maybe you know like uh, on an existential level when you have kind of uh, um, the 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 people that are dead in your life that like you you kind of brought them in the creative process here to bring them along on the album so uh, where are those people now in a sense you know where uh, are, are they still existing you know how how does it tie up to my existence are they still kind of existing somewhere as as uh, another entities or or are their existence dependent on me now in in sense of uh, me and others of course in sense of me kind of uh, um, thinking about them and loving them and, and also having, um, putting them on in, in some way on an album, you know, and, uh, um, yeah. And you can, you can go further down that rabbit hole in the sense of lyrics, you know, like, uh, there's, there's also, uh, um, a contingent of uh, determinism versus free will there, I guess, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, what, what does that make us, you know, like, uh, it's not like I'm answering any questions. It's, but, but I'm asking them, I, you know, like, uh, what are our moral responsibilities in, in, in either scenario, you know, if the world is deterministic, uh, what does that say about our morals or if it's important to, to kind of, uh, find any leisure in anything really and uh, if it's um, if, if we have free will then then what does that imply you know and, and especially then maybe in religious free will li- libertin- libertinistic is it the English word like libertine um, free will the concept of your will being free but it's actually just to to pass a test basically it's not what you want Probably, but you have to have free will so you can please God by worshiping him. And which is an entity that isn't moral, which is ironic in itself, you know. So it's a bit complex, you know, the whole album to talk about because it has so many parts. But in the end, there's, there's a melancholy there and it's, it's a kind of a thoughtful melancholy. Uh, and and I, I, I like to describe the album as immersive. You know, and you have to kind of immerse yourself into it. And, and, and my hope for it is that when you do that, when you sit there alone, you know, like, uh, and listen to your headphones or whatever, it kind of draws out the same kind of uh, emotion and thoughts in, in the listener, you know. Yeah. It, was there, was, was there like a reaction to a global pandemic and a lot of death or was it something more closely related to you? Yeah, uh, the pandemic had really nothing to do with it. Uh, that, you know, I, I'm sure that was, you know, I know it was horrible to a lot of people, but it didn't really affect my life that much, you know, like we, we went through that. But, you know, it's, uh, um, I guess it was about time I had been carrying, uh, uh on those emotions for a lot of years, you know, and, and not really being sure where to put them. And since I, you know, like play black metal, I wasn't sure if that was the right context to, to present it either. And I'm, I'm not an author, so I'm not writing books or anything. And, and I really needed a language to express all this, uh, that, that went b- beyond just having a conversation, you know, but there's probably people that can do that, but I couldn't, you know, I didn't have the ability. So in the end, I, 
I, I needed to, to take that kind of, uh, metaphysical substrate and move it into, to the realm of mu- music making and writing lyrics, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's a, it's a really dark album in the sense that it deals with kind of being, on the outside and it deals with loneliness and sadness and, and all these type of mental conditions you're in, you know, uh, uh, but it's not about the mythological darkness. It's a, it's about the darkness in human beings, you know, how we experience ourselves at, at, at our lowest or, or yeah, at, at our most painful, I guess. You know? The second track, um, I'm going to try the Tonka Spina in Smerta. Yeah. Um, I saw, so I translated that, um, and roughly what I got was the mind spinner's pain. Yes. Which I really, I really like. That's really evocative. Um, and, and I think that the kind of what I got from being my, my, th- that's a very sad song. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of the most striking songs in the album for me. Um, and, and, and so I think it's really tying in with this sense of nostalgia and loss that you're talking about. Can you talk about that song in specific? Um, what those lyrics mean to you? Yeah, I guess it's about. Uh, did I hear something? <laughs> it's okay. Sorry about that. Okay, no, that's all right. Um, no, it, it it really ties directly into the the you know the mental conditions and and you know like the the mind spinners pain or whatever. It's something everybody can relate to, you know, on their own premises. Everybody you know, can take those words and, ah, yeah, I know that condition. Yeah, I know that, that state of mind, you know. So, yeah, it's, um, it's about anxiousness, basically, you know, and, and, uh, how also, I, I guess there's a positive sense to it. It can, most of the lyrics, you don't necessarily have to read them negatively that you're going under. It's more like it is what it is. And these are your tools. And, 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 and you have, you just have to live with it, you know, and, and try to find ways to kind of use, make a use of all this, you know. So, uh, that's the kind of the last, uh, uh, last sentences in that lyrics as well that um, you're the guy on the outside you know the, the guy that nobody wants on the inside basically and and uh, and um, so you're forming this vast abyss but you're forming this abyss in your picture basically and and whatever that means you know whatever that kind of conveys to the to the person reading the lyric but for me that that kind of ends up on a positive note in a sense you know it ends up like uh, um like the, the 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 world you maybe try to be part of for so long uh, you never belong there in the first place you know so it's not that um it's it wasn't that coveted anyway so in the sense that uh, you came to that understanding in the end, you really did yourself a favor and you wouldn't have come there, you know. Maybe you wouldn't have been drawn to explore art and, and read books and write lyrics and stuff like that if it wasn't for, for all these negative experiences to begin with, you know. So these negative experiences, they have intrinsic value. Yeah, yeah. Being able to learn, it's kind of like being able to diagnose, right? To say... To realize, okay, here's here's a condition. Now, what can I do about it? You know, and and, and that and, and that I really got a sense of that. You know, it happens to us all. You wake up at three a.m. and and start thinking about just 
the most random things and that and that spiral of anxiety that can happen oh gosh what was you know what was that crappy thing that i did to that kid in third grade on the playground you know all of a sudden that pops into your head <laughs> and that's what you're thinking about and that's really what the things the things i wanted to connect uh, to you know on, on on that song and on the album in general you know like uh, uh, because i i know we all go through it basically so it doesn't have to be my story when you listen to it and that's kind of a bit important to me that uh, i don't want it to be dogma i don't want it to be religious in the sense that uh, i'm telling you what to think or telling you what to do then I, I i'm not sure if it really belongs in the realm of art anymore if 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 that was the case you know but i want to i want to convey something true and it has to be true from me then it will be true for you as well you know but it will be your own experience because we we kind of share uh the reality of it it's a common common kind of understanding of of mental conditions that we we all carry around with us that helps illuminate the the album title some for me too black medium current you know it's there's something almost universal about that about sort of imagining that concept this black medium current it's like dark matter or something something that exists and is ever present and something that we are all you know touched by yeah, it's like a, a platonic universalis in the sense that I'm imagining that this concept of pain and suffering, that it isn't only a concept, but it actually exists someplace. And that's the black medium current, basically. So, you know, you had brought up that this is an active listen. You uh, you can't listen to this passively. You can't do other things. Uh, is there a preferred way that you would want someone to listen to Black Medium Current? Yeah, I think it's a headphone album. I really think, you know, like, again, I bring up the words immersiveness, you know, like I think it that's that's the best way to kind of get it all, all the layers and you can kind of travel in between them basically and and also soak up all the words and, and also uh, in the way the words are expressed. So, uh, and I'm all about quality headphones, so... Uh, have a quality one and of course crank that volume up you know that's what do you even more important what do you use what what headphones do you recommend uh, no uh, audio technica i really love their uh, their um, handiwork um, i think uh, yeah i i love that they don't fuck around with the sound you know they they make make just quality stuff and keep it pretty flat you know so uh, yeah love their stuff but you know sennheiser makes good stuff as well i think uh, and it doesn't have to be that pricey as long as you're over like a about 150 dollars you're fine you know talk talk to us a little bit about gear what's your what's your at-home setup your you know preferred guitar your audio interface um i have I think 25 guitars, electric guitars. So I have a lot. Um, what is my favorite? It depends on the time. When I'm, I'm, I'm tired of one guitar, 
I might not touch it for again for several years, you know. So right now I'm actually playing a really, really basic uh, guitar from I, I thought I had it around, but from Harley Benton. It's like a hundred dollar guitar, but I love it. Uh, and of course, I can't use it to anything. I can't record with it or play live with it because it's it's not well enough equipped to do that. But it, it's a very light guitar, uh, and uh, you know it's visually compelling as well. So. Your hands and your eyes uh, move towards it, and uh, um, and it's very easy to play. So when you're, uh, you know, a, a bit in a, a, a um, little uh, state that you don't have that much energy anyway, it's it's quite easy to just pick it up anyway, you know. And yes. um, I was just going to say, sometimes my favorite guitar to play is is the very first guitar that. My parents bought me when I was 13, you know, and I've still got, and it just, it just fits in my hands so well, you know? So yeah, definitely with you there. But yeah, yeah. Good, go on. you were going to, you were going to. Yeah. And, you know, I picked up a Fernandez, like an eighties Fernandez. Uh, uh, I think it is a couple of years ago and I really fell in deeply in love with this guitar because it's so easy to play uh, basically you know and uh, and uh, which really made me figure out that I got it all wrong this all these years I thought I was a Gibson man where I'm really a, a Fender Strat man you know and who would have known like 30 years into this I'm 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 learning new stuff about myself but of course I also have all uh, not all of them but a lot of the classics I have a lot of Gibsons I have probably yeah, seven, eight Gibsons, like, um, and a few Gibson customs as well, uh, that are very pricey guitars. And, uh, but I, I think that that's more kind of, um, I bought them because I could, you know, I, I bought them because I dreamed about them when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. And, and at some point, uh, I managed to, to afford one, you know, so uh, I don't travel with them and I don't use them that much actually, because I think a lot of other brands are a lot more play, playable, but it, it's a beautiful, beautiful guitars and, and, uh, and it's also an investment. And someday, you know, my daughter will probably either play it or sell it. You know, uh, either way, it will come to good use. Yeah, Les Pauls are heavy and expensive, so yeah, you, yes. don't, want to, you don't want to tote them around too much. No, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's been it, my my most expensive guitar. It, it's uh, it's uh, from 1977, so it's a 46 year old guitar, same age as me. So it's been around, you know, but it, it's still you know one of those instruments that will always increase in value, you know. So it's it's kind of. Yeah, and it looks good on the wall, and sometimes it has a very unique sound. And sometimes you 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 you're drawn to that specific sound, and then you pick up that specific guitar. But uh, last few years, um, I've been experimenting a lot with uh, single coil guitars because I never did that much uh, um, up through the years, and I think uh, there can be a lot of interesting sounds made with uh, with, um, with single coils and and Fender Strat types of guitars but with uh, with a good selection of pedals it gets yeah a very unique sound so i'm i'm uh, started to playing around a bit with that lately i'm really big on single coils john john could tell you that he could confirm oh that. yeah i'm a i'm a telecaster guy and and it, and it can add such a, a a vibrant sort of color to especially to something like black metal you know yeah you can I tell when, when somebody's using a single coil on black metal and it's yeah. 
there's something about the distinctiveness of the notes when done on a single call. It's almost like you're you're pushing the the uh, the pickup too far, you know. So it's doing unexpected things, you know. It's doing crazy stuff. So I love that about. It. Yeah, it's energetic for sure. So what else? I have ESPs, I have Gibsons, I have Fernandez. I really love Japanese guitars. So um, yeah, yeah. So that uh, you know, I, at least a few times uh, a month, uh, I go to all the secondhand shops and and see if they have uh, have some uh, Japs lying around. You know, Japanese guitars. I'm sorry. Yeah, made, like made in Japan or Japanese brands. Made in Japan, Japanese brands made in Japan. Yeah, uh, I, I, you know, I'm really, I love their '80s guitars and and their '70s guitars. Basically, uh, maybe their '90s and 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 uh, guitars today are good as well. I just don't own any. So yeah, I just got a yeah a, a made in Japan. I, it's an Ibanez, but it's one of the made in Japan. You know, those are coveted, and I I love it. It feels great. Yeah. I bought the uh, last one I bought from Yamaha was uh, Edwards. It's yeah, so I have a pretty new Japanese guitar. It's really good. It's uh, it's kind of a made on a Gibson custom uh, mold, but um, yeah, a lot cheaper and and yeah, basically the same build quality. So, but I have Yamahas and I have uh, Fernandeses and I have yeah, Greco. Yeah, you know, I collect them. If I find someone, you know, a, a Japanese guitar to a to a decent price, I'll take it. Uh, so with Black Medium Current, uh, you know, there's, it's it's heavy conceptually, it's heavy musically. Is there anything that you want the listener to take from this after repeated listens? Oh, that that was a very heavy question. I th- I think I'm I'm content being um, a kind of I'm content letting it go. That, that, you know, that, that's more important to me than, than, you know, like the, my specific ambition for how it to, to be perceived, you know, because I don't have one. I just, you know, I had all these things to express and it takes all this amount of time and, and then you put it together and it's all the boring stuff as well, all the promotion and all the emails and all that stuff, you know, and then at some point you, you, you can just, you know, cut the string and let it fly away. And I think that's so liberating, you know, and now it's basically everybody else's product as much as it is mine, basically, you know, and, uh, and now uh, it's liberating in the sense that, you know, I'm done with it. Now I can start again. And, and this time, you know, the canvas is clear. There's nothing there now. So there's all this space that you can run through, you know, and you don't have to figure out anything, anything solid at at all for the next maybe one and a half to two years you can just run around on empty canvas and and uh, yeah that feels really liberating i had a question about so you were kind of plopped into oslo when you were a fan of some of like mayhem's music back then um but i wondered do you feel like the music you're making now is what you would have saw yourself making back when you were 13 14 or has the identity of Dodem's Guard kind of developed in response to your experience in the early Norwegian black metal scene? I think we, I won't say that I specifically saw myself making this album, but I think I started the process of not repeating myself quite early. It's not 
just the last 10 years, you know, it's, it started maybe around, you know, like, uh, after the second Dirt I'm Scar album. And you also have to have in mind that I did play in with Buen Senna. So uh, we were already on that kind of, okay, let's explore this. We've been given this gift, you know, or found this really special place, basically, that you can kind of bend and fold in any direction, you know. It's just up to you. you So, uh, and people also have to remember that when I released my first couple of albums with Dirt I'm Scarred and, and with Boons and I'd been playing black metal for years already. You know, so I'd already done, you know, all this basic, uh, maybe Bathory style of bands since 91, you know, so uh, we were all already by um, 94, 95, I guess, guess quite mature for our age, you know, and, and, and we saw that many of our contemporaries, they w- weren't quite there yet in the sense that when, when we shared the Vedbuens and the tape to them, they didn't know what to feel about it. Was like, oh, oh, guys, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I like it, and that was a weird response, you know, because you should know if you like it or not. But I think a lot of people weren't sure if it was accepted to like something that kind of diverged from the mold to that degree that uh, those who caressed the pale did. So people were really like standoffish, didn't really want to talk about that, you know, and and and, and then you know that, that just. Drew the fire in us even more. It's like, yeah, fuck, we're doing something right here. There's something right here, you know. There's something to be be further explored, you know. Now we now we have a whole, whole life to do it, you know, because we thought that this this these kinds of possibilities they would never end, you know. It will always kind of be new new things, new avenues to explore. So I always knew it in that sense, you know, and. Uh, I didn't, I was never in my life where I only listened to black metal. So I also idolized a lot of albums that were outside the metal genre. Things I dreamt about and thought like, oh, fuck, this is so awesome. I wish I could make music like this, you know? So, and, and after, after a while, you can bring in all these small elements. And I will say that also, of course, technology has played a role, you know? Yeah. What were some outside of the metal realm albums or artists that influenced you to furthering that unique identity that you have in Dodam's Guard and Budwin Zenda? <clears throat> yeah, I think Coil was a big, big factor, both for me and Carl, actually, you know, and, and not, not only like the musical expression itself, but, but their vast diversity in between albums, you know, it, it, it's always almost like it's, it's like a, a coincidental idea. And, it, and it's such a, a, a revelation that you can have this artist that is just kind of, um, Occupied about expressing himself. He's not worried about, or they are not worried about having a, a kind of a, a certain product to sell. They don't need kind of the, um, the recognizability for people in order to recognize them so they can buy more. They're just exploring as they go, uh, go along. So I think that was, uh, maybe the biggest influence outside metal at that time. Back, you know, maybe kind of sticking with the old days a little bit, um, you know, it's known that early on you, um, obviously connected with, with Carl Michael, um, but also, you know, Garm, Chagrath, um, it seemed like you 
there was sort of this gravitation of people that were doing things that differently um, that brought you all together. Um, was that happenstance? Was it, you know, was it just overall hanging out at Elm Street anyway? So, um, you know, or was it that, hey, we all know we're kind of doing something a little bit different um, and that's kind of what brought you together? Yeah, I, I think uh, the place was there. So it's it's not uh, that uh, um, the specific individuals, we didn't plan to meet each other. I, I guess the, the arena was there and we all just moved into it. And then it was also maybe a bit uh, um, in that time, it was a bit contentious. Not everybody dared to move into it because you just had the murders and you just had the, the you know, the vandalization of churches and stuff like that. So uh, I think uh, that made probably to a certain degree also everybody that came in there uh, have a trust a certain trust in each other because we knew that it did cost something, you know, it was to a, um, it had a price basically. You, you couldn't be in this genre in Norway, especially when it was kind of tied to, to murders and stuff like that. It was really, really looked down upon and, you know, like, um, it was in a sense living under a threat, a constant threat. And, uh, um, and, uh, you know, when, when you found that a, a bit alluring, you know, like it, you find, found some kind of truth in that, you know, like living in the, on the edge kind of a thing, you know, and, uh, and, and that was attractive to me, I guess, you know, and, and I guess it was attractive to everybody else that also moved into the scene at that time, you know. And I think when it comes to originality, it was easier to be original back then. That's why seemingly all these products are very original because they didn't have contemporary products to be compared with. Yeah, you had to take this sort of clandestine approach, you know, sounds like. Yeah, and it was, you know, what made it really cool is that it it wasn't a, a business yet, you know. None of us had record deals when we moved into Oslo. None of us had like any invitation to play any festival. So it was kind of fueled the whole thing, you know, the whole, every people that belonged to the scene in this city, it was fueled uh, among ourselves, you know. We had no external kind of electricity or input, you know, it was all fueled from within. So we spent a lot of time together and we were all broke. You know, because we all moved away uh, from home at a really early age. I moved when I was 16, you know, f uh, to get here, you know, because I knew this was the place. It was kind of the epicenter of the time of black metal. And I always say that, you know, black metal is not a genre. It's a space and time. It's something that happened. The same thing as, you know, like Seattle grunge rock or or rock and roll music or or rap music made in the basements, you know, like it's it's something that's tied in um, into a region and for a specific period of time. And lucky for me, at least to enjoy this, you know, that I lived so close to where everything was going on. So it wasn't like reading a paper of something going on somewhere else and saying like, oh, I wish I was part of that. No, it was actually living on top of the things you were doing, basically. So I, there's um, moving a little later into the 90s, um, and this is going to get to a question about your involvement with uh, Dimu or Gear. Um, but so Carl Michael was played drums with them for 
what looks like less than a year. Um, and it, he, it looked like he was suckered into doing like their, a Christmas photo shoot. I don't know if that's something you guys have ever talked about. Um, I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. It's, so anybody, anybody that's listening to this needs to Google, you know, Dimmu Borgir Christmas photo shoot. And it's, it's hysterical. And they're all there. They've all got, you know, Santa, big red Santa, you know, cloaks and everything. And it's, I'm pretty sure it's Carl Michael in the, in the back there with them. So I assume that maybe, maybe was part of what turned him off. <laughs> but were you ever asked to perform with Dimu? You know, I know you did the, the vocal contributions or maybe, in, you know, any other bands that you were asked to perform with or just maybe some funny stories out of that. Yeah. No, I- uh, I was never asked for Dimborgir, but uh, I, I think also Carl, he was always very uh, um, tentative about, about joining Dimu. He wasn't really sure uh, or he knew that it wasn't, you know, something he artistically could could uh, um, stand by, you know. But I, I guess for a young guy without money, he thought maybe this is kind of my my break to to live out of music what what you know which was also kind of a a dream you know so uh and i guess he tried that for a while and then he figured out that you know that that stuff just doesn't work you know you you need need the synergy as well just living out of it then it's like any other job you know so uh and i guess it took him one year to figure that out yeah Um, well you know probably didn't help being asked to do a christmas photo shoot for and, and uh, you guys have to understand that at Elm Street, every, every, almost every drunk in the weekend, a new band was formed, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. You, uh, out on a Friday, you know, and drunk as hell uh, by 11, and you cheer, cheering with the guys, and new bands formed all the time. And, you know, our, our, uh, our uh, rehearsal place, it was in the, the street, neighboring street to Elm Street, you know? So... Um, often at times the pissed drunk could go to the rehearsal place and, and just jam it out, you know, and then go back drinking. So we basically lived at the bars around, uh, Drommingensgata and, uh, and the Schippegata. And we had our rehearsal place in the Schippegata. Mayhem rehearsed there, Arturus rehearsed there, Ulver, Vedbuns and uh, Dödheimsgard, you know, and, uh, even Mysticum was in there at, at some point. So, yeah. So really, a weird sense of uh, it was a community, but in a, in kind of a weird uh, circumstance, I guess. Yeah, you know, I knew, I've heard about that rehearsal space and, and how many bands were in there, and I can't imagine, you know, what the energy was like. And I'm sure that there's the element of camaraderie, but there's also this the competitive nature of everybody there, right? And 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 trying to do something different, and then and you know, maybe not the next big thing, but. What was that sort of competitive energy like, you know, and with everybody? No, it, it was very competitive. And I think, think it was that to everybody's benefit, you know, like, of course, then you also have to factor in the immaturity that we were just kids back then. So, of course, maybe not all of it was positive experiences, but uh, in the end, it benefited everybody on the artistic level. You know, we knew that, you know, if, if you made something generic, you would be thrown out of the scene, you know, and that's a pretty good threat to have. Uh, you know, a pretty good gun to your head, you know, yeah. Dare <laughs> to make something shit, you know. Will unceremoniously kick you out of the scene. 
but that meant you also hold that you know you you held that in in uh, uh, account for uh, others as well but it's really a sign of respect you know in a sense you know if you tweak it a bit it's like we know you're so talented we won't accept anything other than than any something stellar you know you you need to bring your identity here we need to hear you through your music otherwise you you just lost your way and that was kind of the underlying context of it all i would imagine the gravity of having someone been murdered in that scene would lend a lot of weight to that credibility yeah <laughs> yeah oh and uh and I think he was very important to the scene for many years after his death, you know, because it was a strange situation for us in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm considered as second generation and, uh, and basically all the Oslo guys were second generation, you know, because what happened was that the first generation of black metal guys here in Oslo, they all wiped themselves out, you know, suddenly they were gone. And there was no scene left, so we all moved into it, you know. Um, so it was a bit of a strange period for either you were dead or you were in prison for killing somebody or you were in prison for putting a building on fire, you know. So we really inherit, inherited basically the, the, uh, the scene at some point, you know. And, uh, yeah, then, then it was ours. So I think Öystein Oshet, he was kind of a, um, sort of a, an idol, I guess, you know, I know it probably a wrong genre is to talk about idols, but I think it was idolization. So even if people say, no, you know, we don't idol people in this scene, that's just bullshit because it was idolization and it still goes on to this day, basically, you know, like, yeah, I think he's still an important figure in the black metal scene and especially, and, uh, him and Snorri are probably the two biggest factors of like striving for excellence, having that idea, you know, I think that that's really important. Yeah. In terms, yeah. In terms of defining, um, sort of the approach to the playing, you know, you mentioned Snorra and Snorra, obviously, you know, he did the bar chord thing, the tremolo bar chord thing. And, and then you've got Oystein who comes in and, added another element to that, you know, and that sort of evolution of the approach to playing. But, um, you know, a friend of mine and I were actually speaking recently that we think, you know, the next tier was what you and Carl Michael did, which was adding that added level of dissonance to the Norwegian sound um, because you hear it everywhere, right? You know, it's it, he brought up um, Mayhem's Esoteric Warfare, right? Um, it just where he's listening to it and he says, that's like a Vicotnik Carl Michael type riff, you know, and we really, you know, I mean, do you think, do you see it that way? Do you think that when you guys did, for instance, written in waters um, and, and the mid to late nineties material that you were going to have that sort of impact? No, I had no idea. And, and by judging about people's opinions, like I said, like t 10 minutes ago, people were kind of, uh, afraid to have an opinion about it. We didn't really, uh, we didn't really see uh, where we were going. I think that was a bit exciting as well that it wasn't really a clear path, you know, so we were making it while we were tre treading it, you know, but we believed in it and it was kind, kind of an effortless thing for us, you know, the three us, uh, three of us coming together. We n never really expected it to sound original before we heard it back. Uh, in the studio, you know, oh fuck, is, 
is this the way we sound? That's pretty cool. But I think that effortlessness, it's, it, it can translate to some sort of, uh, authenticity. And I think that, that was, uh, uh, maybe the most important factor in the uh, uh, the fear for not being truthful, I guess you know, and I think that that's where so many other bands lost their way as well, you know, like uh, they, they kind of bought into the image, like something like a portrayal, kind of uh, the, the the certain tropes that you have to fulfill instead of just continuing on that part. So maybe maybe Snorri's kind of and and Öystein's Euronymous teachings, maybe it's stuck, stuck by us a bit, bit more, you know, like weighed a bit heavier on, on me and Carl than, than many other people. Yeah, it's that, that spirit of ingenuity. And, and I mean, that is that, in my opinion, that's at the core of, of what black metal is, is, is ingenuity and should be. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it was and it still is for me as well. So, you know, and and as new bands came along that kind of made their careers sounding like other bands, I, I thought it was even more important than before, you know. Like if if this 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 music scene is going to move ahead somewhere, you know, and not just be tied up in nostalgia all the time. You know, it it, it seems like, you know, the 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 conception of 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 a lot of people is like no there's no good album made after 1995 and and that's a, such a destructive uh, pattern of thinking you know and and you can really see it as well going to a festival today you see like the average age, age is 35 to 40 years old because it's so much nostalgia worship you know there's no room for for uh, for new bands it's it's not inviting to them and even young bands i've talked to have said to me you know we started out as being really experimental and stuff like that but we got no gigs and so we started playing thrash metal and now we get gigs all the time you know and that, and that, yeah, that's just pretty sad, you know, like potentially have something new to bring, but nobody wanted it. So now we're just doing like everybody else. And now, now we're playing gigs all the time, you know, that's pretty sad, I think. Yeah. And the irony is that that's considered like a, a purist approach that, you know, nothing after 1995 is any good when, you know, the purest approach in black metal should be, I want to make something different creative and new you know because when you look back at at norway every band was different you know every band had a completely different sound and then even going you know if you go back if you really want to talk about purest bands quote unquote you know celtic frost with end of the pandemonium is just is is groundbreaking and and you know and at the same time much like written waters was was probably was met with a lot of uh uncertain discourse for sure but ended up completely changing, you know, the entire landscape. Yeah, and and uh, funny you brought up uh, into the pandemonium because <laughs> me and Carl, when we got together, we obsessed about that record. That was, you know, like uh, that that record was probably when we rented our first rehearsal room. That record was in the room, you know. Basically, and, and brought to every rehearsal as kind of uh, the source of inspiration. And it, 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 it's kind of cool because obviously the album doesn't sound like, so it wasn't the content of the album that was the inspiration. It was the idea that, like, the concept of being so totally unique, you know, like, so uh, yeah, that, 
you know the the scene it, it, it's very funny be, be, because it, it's so moronically ironic sometimes you know like uh, read all these interviews about bands talking about how important it is to be special in black metal and then you listen to the stuff and there's nothing special about it at all you know so it, it, in yeah. one question they're like yeah fuck the rule book fuck this and that we don't abide by the rules and the next question they're asked about new bands and they say no that's not black metal they don't know how to do black metal suddenly they're talking about the rule book you know like the question before this Fuck the rules, and now now they're sticking the rules on somebody else, you know. So yeah, sometimes this scene is just <laughs> moronically ironic, but uh, yes. yeah, but I think we should be thankful as well, you know. It's good, you know. It 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 it, it, it does make it easier be special, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to have the rubbish to be able to find the gems within. So. How do you expect the new material to translate live? Quite similar? Yeah, I think live it will do fantastically. You know, I, I, um, um, what I'm not sure about how the material is, is going to do. And I've never been that anyway for any of the score record. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't know how it's going to be kind of received. Uh, but I didn't with 66 either, uh, and definitely not supervillain. Um, uh, so uh, this time as well, I'm, I don't really know, but I know it's going, the material is going to do really well, uh, live because it's such a massive, um, sound picture when you get all the layers in place. And I, I think live, it, it will be even more immersive than, than on, on, on the actual album. So I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Any are you are you planning tours at all currently? Any plans for a U.S. tour or anything? We signed a new deal with a, um, like a booker, so I I I think that they're they're quite aggressive getting their bands on the road as well. Uh, I think think it has to be sensible. You know, there has to be uh, an interest there. I I I don't want to go on tour just for the sake of it. You know, so. Uh, the right places and uh, getting the right people out that that really wants to see us, then then sure, I'm all for it. I think we have some um, bookings this year that are a bit uh, not standard for us, and I'm looking forward to those: Mexico and and Colombia and Chile, and also a little trip to to Australia. So that that will be new territory for us, and yeah, would be exciting to to visit new places, you know. I just, yeah, I, I realized that the album is released when you guys are in the U.S. Uh, for with Ved One Sunday. Ah, I didn't know. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that'll be exciting. Yeah. Um, so far, it, it's been good feedback on it. So uh, I think uh, I, I was really... Um, um, I was curious about, you know, like, because there, there are some, some changes this time that, that are quite... Um, um, heavy elements, I guess, like the vocals being one of them. So I was, uh, I was curious about how the feedback would be on that, uh, in the sense if, if it would be, uh, not if it would be good or bad, but rather if it w- still would carry the sense of being a, a Dirt Imes Guard record, basically. Well, yeah. I could probably speak for all of us and say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, in this format, you don't want to gush, but I've been, I've been screaming album of the year to all of my friends. 
Yeah. I've got a, a, like a sit down listening session plan um, with at least one friend to come over and perhaps take some substances and listen to it. Um, but it's, it's, it's just, it's an incredible album. Really, really, really. You should be very proud. Thanks. Agree. Thank you. Ella. Substances and albums. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> He just had his, so, his he just had his first, his first baby, so he's he'll, he's like I'll get out of the house to listen to a new Tottenham Square album. <laughs> yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. He'll have a great time with this. Yeah, I, I know we're I know it sounds like we're kind of winding down. Obviously, um, don't want to keep you too much longer. I just had um, a, a question. Um, I always think this can yield some great answers, but um, what else keeps you busy other than music? What are your other hobbies? Um, you, you know, I, uh, I am a father, so, uh, and, uh, that's very important to me. So I, I, I spend a lot of time with my daughter. So I'm not the kind of, uh, um, couch father behind a newspaper. So I, I try to, to when we are together, uh, to, to really be together, you know, be playing games or, or just talking or, or uh, traveling somewhere and visiting family and stuff like that. So that takes a lot of my time, but it, it, it's, um, um, it, it's spending time that feels good basically, because th- 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 this is kind of will be her, um, her, her suitcase of emotions and experiences, I guess, you know, so I'm, 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 I'm trying to make sure I, I, I make a tidy kind of suitcase in there for her, you know, like, and, and that she can look, look back on, on, on her childhood and, and, uh, and feel she had a, you know, good loving parents and, and a good childhood. Yeah. That, that's really important to me. And, uh, yeah, otherwise it's, it's work. And, uh, and like I said, a lot of time is going to the music. So basically all my spare time is either going to, if I need to relax, I, I relax with, you know, a, a podcast or a movie or whatever. And, uh, and, um, I, otherwise I, I write l- lyrics and, and do music. I have almost no social life at all. So everything go, go, goes into that, that package. Luckily for me, it carries a bit of a social life with it. You know, when you have a kid, you go to your family and if you play music, you have a band. So you get to see people. Um, Otherwise, you know, I'm pretty much into the podcast world at the time. But you know, I like to to uh, listen to uh, interrogations of uh, criminals. Uh, I like um, uh, discussions about um, uh, morals and and religion and if there is a god or not. You know, I like to listen to um, Matt Dillahunty, um for example. Um, yeah, and various uh philosophy sites and and yeah and and read not that much books anymore but a lot of articles and and podcasts basically and since everybody will be listening to this on a podcast i suppose what you have three podcasts you recommend um you know uh i'm I'm not really sure about the names of of all the podcasts because they show up in the feed and i just press them but uh I think uh, the atheist experience is quite fun because then then you have live discussions between uh, between um, 
uh, people that are atheists and, and people that believe in some sort of God. And, and, uh, you know, even if the discussion isn't that relevant to you, it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting to see how you can break down a sentence into if it's, uh, truthful or not, you know, and, and how that ties into beliefs. And, and the way human being believes in stuff. And, and, uh, uh, if you're actually using, uh, sense logic and reason on it, or if you, if it's basically just emotional thinking. Well, all right. Uh, this, this has been wonderful. Uh, Vikotnik, I wanted to thank you for your time. Uh, and Ben, thank you guys. Yeah, Brain Smasher. Great. Thank you. This was, this was really wonderful. And, uh, like we were saying, you know, Black Medium Current is wonderful. It, it's a really great album. So thank you. And thank you for all the music. Thank you, guys. Thank you for sticking by us and, uh, yeah, making interesting uh, content uh, about us also uh, on your podcast. So I really have to check that out. Uh, the Dirt I'm God special. It's on my to-do list. Yeah, hopefully uh, yeah, hopefully this will be out in a few weeks. But um, for the people in a few weeks who are listening to this, thank you for listening. And uh, this has been the Invisible Oranges podcast. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Screaming Bloody Oranges, the Invisible Oranges podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and other streaming services. We'll make a post on our website at www.invisibleoranges.com to accompany the release of each episode. Visit us anytime for more in-depth heavy metal coverage that goes a step above and beyond.